Good morning, folks. Welcome today to Bible study time. It's good to be with you on a beautiful spring day and to welcome the first week of Lent. And we're going through a little bit of a study time this morning as we did last week, studying the Parousia or the second coming of Jesus. So we will have that to, to think about today and to, to use that as a way to just love on God a little bit, just to, to love on Jesus and hope that soon he does indeed make that second coming into this world that aches for him so badly, even as we speak. Let me pray with you for a minute. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, lighten our darkness. By thy great mercy, defend us from all the perils and dangers of this day. Because we love thy Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, I hope you had a restful night. I hope you had are ready to study your Bible. I hope you have some coffee maybe at hand that you can use to fortify you as we study along together. Hope you have your your Bible. Uh, I'm using the Living Bible. I've showed you that before on occasion. This week I also used the the Oxford Bible, the Oxford Annotated Bible. It's kind of getting old now, but it has some wonderful annotations in it of a scholarly condemnation. And also, uh, once again, I use the Outline Bible to help me with pulling together some thoughts. So if you teachers out there are listening to me, uh, that's basically the tools that I've got in front of me this morning. And uh, we're going we're gonna to study a little bit more. Part two, you might say, of... Uh, the second coming of, of the Christ, what is called parousia in the Greek. As we begin, I want to connect the church to this process of thinking about this this morning. So I'm going to read to you the Nicene Creed. Many of you may know this by heart. This is not the shorter abbreviated Apostles' Creed, but the little longer Nicene Creed, which was which was a creed that the Bishops of the early church put together at one of their first general meetings, you might say. And this was what they came up with. They wanted to say what exactly they believed. And you may want to know sometimes what it is you might want to think about believing too. It says, I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And of all things visible and invisible. And in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate 
by the Holy Ghost of the Virgin Mary and was made human and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. Third day he rose again according to the scriptures and ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of the Father and he shall come again with glory to judge both the quick and the dead whose kingdom shall have no end. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceedeth from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spake by the prophets. And I believe in one Catholic and apostolic church, I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Well, there you have it. The thing that I want to slice from it, from this big cake, I just want to make one little small slice. I want to go back up here and where it says, and he shall come again. With glory to judge both the quick and the dead whose kingdom shall have no end. Now, it behooves us, I do believe, to give consideration to how it was that these beliefs were formulated early in the life of the history of the church. Because as we go along, we're going to see a lot of things added to this, you know, sort of post-apostolic creeds. We're going to see a lot of things formulated coming up from the Bible that seem to suggest a lot of wonderful things that aren't here. But what is here is basic, basic bones. And one of it is that we believe, we believe, I mean, we really do, that he is going to come again. That's the parousia of the church. He, we believe it. It's going to come in, in, in two ways. When glory, which is the doxology, your church sings that, praise God, from whom all blessings flow. Praise him all creatures here below. Praise him above ye. Heavenly hosts. Praise for the Son and Holy Ghost. That, 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 that doxa. He's coming in his glory. Why? To judge. He's the judge, both the quick and the dead. Both if you happen to be alive, quick and or dead. Both of these things are going to be dealt with. And we're going to hear a little later how he's going to do that or how St. Paul proposes that that's done. We're going to look at that and we're going to look at some of the, some of the words of the Gospels that, 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 that are kind of apocalyptic speaking from the words of Jesus. We're going to look at some of those that support this, but I thought I would begin with that. Just, just to be sure that you understand that the kingdom will have no end. Once this happens, that he comes, Again, and we want him to come. See, that's where the word Maranatha comes from. Come, Lord Jesus. We we want you to come. Sometimes in prayer, just just recognize the fact that there's something good ahead for you. Something that you don't necessarily understand, but that you can use as a way to love on Jesus. 
just love on him, love on him. Even though he, 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 he may not seem close to you, just remember that one day he's going to come. Now, the church believes that. That's one basic beliefs of the church. Anybody don't believe that? Well, I'm trouble with this guy. <laughs> the church, this book of common prayer, and it, clear, it clearly lays out how the church feels about its creeds. And the Nazi creed is an accepted creed of the church. Well, now here we go. Here we go into the into the Bible. Going to go look this week at a Corinthian passage. Again, I'm kind of avoiding some of the flashy, showy, colorful, apocalyptic literature in the Bible and moving toward a more a more, shall we say, settled or intellectual approach that St. Paul takes before the Gospels were written. I'm, I'm, I'm going here to see what was the mind of these <clears throat> apostles like at that crucial period when the church <clears throat> was in its process of growth. Now, the church, of course, now, in the Bible, we like some, well, sometimes we think of the church growing like a tree, that it grows from the roots up into a trunk, and then it has limbs, and then it has leaves, and then it has little fruit, which might be churches, so that the church is related to one basic tree, one basic root of Jerusalem, the mother church. But history seems to be telling us, like it or not, that the church grew more like some kind of wire grass. It all grew kind of at once. I mean, the Nazi creed was on the table of discussion fast. There were bishops simultaneously in places. Just It was just, there's no other way to say it, it was just weird how fast the early church took off. Not like a slow-growing, rooted tree, but like a wire grass. Bang, something happened and up comes these churches. You know, just up comes these churches. So now, Apostle Paul was one of those involved in that time period. I mean, while he was visiting here in Corinth, he might be writing to somebody over yonder because this thing was happening not so much because of Paul, but in spite of Paul. <laughs> Isn't that something? Well, something to think about. Now, so in Corinthians, at chapter 15, we get the, the, the kind of the tail end of the discussion of the resurrection. Because the resurrection and the parousia are, are, are all hooked together, all in a wonderful kind of way that, that's nearly inexplicable. But if you're going to be come from the earth, uh, this is the same almost as a parousia in the sense that you're going to come to Jesus. But listen to the back part of chapter 15. I'm, I'm going to use this living Bible to work with it because even though it's 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 just a a, a version or it's not even a version it's a a paraphrase by a good man and it's not the annotated version over here but it is that version which 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 seeks to make things clear in a way we can understand and I kind of like to enjoy reading it so here we go first corinthians chapter 15 reading here at verse 
50. I tell you this, my brothers. An earthly body made of flesh and blood cannot get into God's kingdom. These perishable bodies of ours are not the right kind to live forever. But I'm telling you this strange and wonderful secret. We shall not all die, but we shall all be given new bodies. It'll all happen in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. For there will be a trumpet blast from the sky, and all the Christians who have died will suddenly become alive with new bodies that will never, never die. And then we, who are still alive, shall suddenly have new bodies too. For our earthly bodies, the ones we have now that can die, must be transformed into heavenly bodies that cannot perish and will live forever. When this happens, then at last this scripture will come true. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where then is your victory? Where then your sting? For sin, the sting that causes death, will all be gone, and the law which reveals our sins will no longer be our judge. How we thank God for all of this. It is he who makes us victorious through Jesus Christ our Lord. So, my dear brothers, since future victory is sure, be strong and steady, always abounding in God's work, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever wasted, as it would be if there were no resurrection. Here ends the reading of the 15th chapter we read from verse 50 through the end of the great resurrection chapter of, of Corinthians, which, which paints a picture of Jesus appearing to 500 people at once and ascending into heaven. And then this, this way that Paul caps it off is a speaking out, writing out of his eschatology into apocalyptical terminology. This business of getting new bodies and going up into heaven, which he, he wrote about in there. Suddenly have new bodies, he said, and that cannot perish. And there will be a trumpet sound, you see. And that's a frequent part of apocalyptic literature, along with sometimes war, Armageddon, all that kind of thing. It will suddenly become alive and new bodies that will never, never die. Earthly ones transformed. And then rising up, this rising up into heaven. Both the dead will come up, the alive will come up. It's almost, well, the word that we think of all the time about it is the word rapture. This 
call it a rapture, which is a weird word, a, a Latin word, which means to, to be taken up, received up. The, the Greek is uh, something like a harpoosio or something. It strikes me as a harpoon. It strikes you and holds you. It, it gets you and it draws you up into the sky. It's not a very good analogy, but at the same time it works. It lifts you up, takes you up, takes you up. If you look in in the, the this this text now, if we look at some of the Greek words in it, uh, before I get too far with it, with the the rapture, but uh, there is a, a wonderful old Christian song called "I'll See You in the Rapture." You get a chance, look that up on YouTube. It's a beautiful thing. I'll see you in the rapture. I'll see you in the rapture some sweet day. This is what <laughs> this theology always makes Christians look just a little bit crazy, but <laughs> particularly if they really have a working, strong kind of a parousia, a strong part of their theology which is eschatological and, and apocalyptical. Those those people, you know, are odd people sometimes, but the truth is they're onto something. They really own something. They love God, even even if God isn't here yet. Even if if you leave, even if God is through the power of the Holy Spirit, they're still looking for God to come again. They they're looking for more, looking for more. Uh, a people as one somebody said one time about the Methodists, early Methodists in England. They said they were just people looking for a change. You know, they, they the old church was so stale and so static. The Methodists were dynamic and. And they wanted, they were just people looking for a change. <laughs> Are you looking for a change? You get a hold of this theology here. You'll find a change, I'll tell you right now. Because it's a way to anticipate the coming of God. Look, look at a few of these words in, in the, uh, look at the last trumpet. The trumpet shall sound and we will all be changed. That's what King James Version says. Change, change from what? Change from one thing to another. That's all. We're going to change. We're going to change from what we are now to what we're going to be. And it's going to go from the decayed people. You understand? Use the word corruptible. King James uses the word corruptible. It's a hard word for us to get a hold of today because we we kind of think it has some moral connotation to it. Corrupt, but the truth is it means rotted, decayed. All those people that we love in the ground somewhere decaying, you know, or, or burnt up somewhere, wherever they are, bottom of the sea, don't matter. God is going to raise them up on that last day. Go take what is corrupt, what, what, what is decayed and restore life to it. I want you to get that image in your mind of the restoration of that which is decayed into that which is beautiful and wonderful and made uh, blessed with deathlessness, deathlessness, immortality in that Greek word means deathlessness. You, you'll be a, a creature who is not going to die, just full of deathlessness. And then the, the quotation, death is swallowed up in victory, is read out of Isaiah chapter 25, verse 8. O death, where is thou sting? The word sting means that 
it is a a word that means venom, venomous. We're stung by a venom, the venom of sin, that only Jesus is the antidote for it, because he's the great forgiver of sin. And, and O grave, it says, where is your victory? If you've ever stung, stood beside the grave of someone that you love very much, you understand with experience, which is good to have sometimes, not in this particular case, oh, grave, where is thy victory? It seems like victory wins. I mean, uh, it seems like grave wins. If you've ever walked around, around a graveyard, particularly if it's one that you have a lot of relatives in it, you're going to see that they're gone. I mean, it, it becomes plain that they are just gone now. And uh, the victory is a word in the Greek that means Nike, which we put on tennis shoes and got a company named Nike. It means victory. If you wear those shoes, you're going to win. But at the same time, if you believe in this Jesus and in this parousia, this, this coming of Jesus, well, you have won the victory before the victory has even got here. See, you can look down on a grave and say, Grandma, one of these days, you're going to be up out of there. Hmm? Now, does that sound crazy? A little bit. <laughs> but it's true. True. So, Hebrew means victory. I called your attention to the fact that that's in Isaiah. But the, the so the Hebrew word there is for victory is like a goal. The goal line. The goal line. You get over the goal line. You, you, I love to watch these pro football boys when they make a touchdown and get over the goal line. They just go nuts. They do whatever. <laughs> they do some of the craziest things you ever saw <laughs> with a football running all around the end zone, jumping up and down, smacking one another, hopping on each other because it's such a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing to get the gold. You know, I'm tired of this world. I'm looking for the gold line. Holy Talita, I I'm, I'm, couldn't be more ready for anything than that. And there's joy in that. Peace in that, knowing that that's going to come, there's happiness in it, not by law but by faith. The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. We're not saved by no law; we're saved by Jesus and faith in Jesus. That's just just a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful thing. Behold, I show you a mystery. This is a mystery. It's a secret. It, it, don't everybody understand this secret? But it's a secret and it's wonderful and it's childlike. It's, it's amazing how it can take you, take you back to when you were a child. You remember when you were a child, how sometimes you'd have nights when you were, living, you were in the dark and you were afraid. You didn't know what to do, but you, you knew how to pray a little bit and God would come to you and maybe God would give you nothing more, more simple than a teddy bear to hold on to in the middle of the night. Maybe you had a whole bedroom full of them. I didn't because I wasn't that fortunate, but I did have one or two, and I'd get scared. And I'd hold on, and now you look at me. I'm not holding on to a thing in the world, but a pile of old, old rags and some some rubber stuff together, and some glass eyes and and some floppy ears made out of some old wool or something other. And uh, but look at him. You see me? I'm holding him. Now somebody said, well, "That's a grown man holding a teddy bear." That's just what that is. And that's the same way a lot of people will, will, will confuse you about the power of your eschatology and your apocalypse. It's all right for you to believe he's coming again. 
it's all right. I think it's even all right for you to speculate. So some people say, oh, that's just speculation, you know. Somebody, I heard somebody the other day say the Russians were invading the Ukraine and that was a sign of the end of the world. You know, and everybody said, I, I, that, that's not a sign of the end of the world. That was a sign of the end of the world. It happened a long time ago. Well, for some reason, that gave somebody comfort. And it may be wrong. It may be wrong. But uh, they're entitled to receive comfort from the events of the world, which will remind them that the Lord is coming again. Well, that's all right with me. That's all right with me. Now, I want to touch off here with a reminder that the this situation is a, a promise. It's a promise. God is the promiser. He promises that he's going to come again, that Pharisee is coming. He's coming. He's coming for you. There's a, there's a secret about it. And the secret is kept from the world. But you know the secret. You know it. It's in your Bible. It's in your heart. It's in your world. You know that's going to happen quickly. You know that you don't know when. I mean, Jesus relieves us of that when, when the good Lord says no one knows the hour, not even the Son of Man. I'm so grateful for that. Because, you know, when I get to speculating about when it's going to be, I usually just roll over and say, thank you, Jesus, that you said nobody knows when. But you do. You don't even know. But that's going to come. That time is going to come. There are so many things associated with this. One of them is the wonderful story of Philip in Gaza. When when he was caught up in the spirit, you know, in the book of Acts, Philip is caught up and taken to Caesarea. That Greek word there is used there, sense of being caught up. Paul talks in his experiences in the second Corinthians chapter 12, verse 2 and 4. He talks about how the Lord met him in the air and met the Lord in the air. Uh, it was an experience he had. He was talking about an experience that he had. The, the, uh, the way this thing works out in a linear fashion is one thing. And that man, that linear fashion of talking about and thinking about the uh, second coming or the eschatology or the apocalyptic stuff is long. I mean, you've got the, you've got uh, a thousand years before, a thousand years after. You've got the last judgment. You've got the uh, the uh, Armageddon promises and so forth and and just one thing after another to talk about it. if you're interested in it if you're interested in how you whether you're a millennialism or millennialist or premillennialist or postmillennial or whatever that stuff you can find that linear also some some speculate that it's a circular notion of time and things which means that what you have now will come back later but in fact this does touch the ground so to speak, in a lot of places we don't often look for it. The, the Seventh Day Adventist Church is a a group of people who who believe very strongly, very strongly in in uh, the advent of the Lord, the second coming of the Lord. People have have done this down through the years, make speculations about it. But the Adventists are slow walking along. Just a, people believe Sabbath is on Saturday. 
beautiful people. There's a whole lot of them in the Shenandoah Valley where I ministered for a number of years. Good people. They have a high school, prep school in the little village of Newmarket called the Shenandoah Valley Academy. And they are the seven children, Seventh-day Adventist children, go to school to learn how to get good enough grades to go to college. And it's a beautiful institution, a beautiful school there. It's called the Shenandoah Valley Academy. The only reason I know about it is because in searching for this this, this topic this morning, I, I not this morning, but yesterday, I came across where the Shenandoah Valley Academy had put on a show called uh, uh, John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. And they did such a cute job of, of telling that story of Pilgrim's Progress. You know where Pilgrim was going in the Pilgrim's Progress, the story by John Bunyan? He was going to the Celestial City at the end of the world, a place called Celestial City. And he was leaving the world of destruction to go there. And many of we are too. We are. We are on the road. We are on the road together, going this marvelous pathway on our way to a celestial city we can't even hardly describe or talk about, but it is beautiful to think about sometimes. Now, the next time you're discouraged, next time you're lonely, next time you don't know what the future is going to bring, well, you think about the parousia and how it is that the Lord is going to come again and take that which is decayed and make it old and beautiful. And he's going to raise you up on the last day to be caught up with him in the clouds. That's what the word says. And I say to you today, farewell. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face to shine upon you and give you peace. Amen. Amen. Senhor, eu vejo o mundo triste, atribulado pela ação de Satanás. Clamando no escuro, correndo e olhando para trás. 